everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Bhavani on the Progressive Radio Network. And I have a great show for all of you today. My guest will be Andriana Natsoulis, and she is the campaign director at Don't Cage Our Oceans. And I've known Andriana for a while because she was also the executive director at NOFA New York when I first joined the board there. And I'm really thrilled to have her back on representing Don't Cage Our Oceans. And I'll be inviting her on in just a few minutes. But first, of course, I want to share with you some things in the news, some ways you can take action and share my weekly recipe with you. First in, in the news, I wanted to share with you, you know, this article that I read that was so disturbing about the health issues and the mental health issues, I should say, of our young people, teenagers right now. Um, the, the suicide rate, the anxiety, depression rate amongst adolescents has skyrocketed and it's really scary. And since COVID, so many of the um, therapeutic in-house um, facilities have closed because of COVID and loss of revenue and inappropriate, um, inappropriate models there. And so, um, this article was just really, really scary. It was talking about how 13% of adolescents have reported having a major depressive disorder, which is a 60% increase from 2007. Um, suicide rates next to guns is the leading cause of death for teenagers in the US. It used to be cars, but now suicide is a, ahead of cars. And in North Carolina, it is the leading cause. And emergency room visits for anxiety, mood disorders, self-harm is up 60% since 2007. So it's pre-COVID. It's not, we can't blame it all on COVID. And the suicide rate has also increased by 60% since 2018. So it is, you know, a really scary time. And when I, you stop and sit back and you think about what young people, you know, they're old enough to know about the challenges going on around us. And they look around and they see climate change is real and they're watching with horror at the adults around them not doing enough to stop it. They had seen gun violence, not only in the streets and in the parks, but in their schools. Bullying on the internet is rampant and there's no way to really to control it unless you take them off of social media completely, but that's their lifeline to their friends, especially during COVID. So it's really, a, you know, an unbelievable situation, and I don't really see the answer to it. Obviously, neither do the medical. Does the medical um, profession? Um, but right now, you know, medical medical um, universities, um, hospitals, emergency rooms are being bombarded with adolescents who are staying overnight in the hospitals because they don't have room in a facility for them. Um, it's just, you know, it's just really horrible. And of course, since the pandemic, you know, adding to the problem, we've seen food insecurity, family insecurity get wet, worse, financial insecurity is worse. And of course, they see the rich still getting richer and they just can't figure it out and they see, feel hopeless. And it's just a really, really terrible situation. And there's no real solution that I see other than, you know, creating more of these facilities to help the young people manage it. But what do you tell them? How do you, how do you help them make sense of what's going on in the world? And they see their families divided. You know, it's not just Republicans and Democrats, but it's dividing families and friends. 
it's it's really a sad situation and i just wanted to share my horror to it because the you know i can't really offer any solution about it um but another thing that i read in the news that really was upsetting was oil companies are greenwashing their sales of their wells i mean the oil companies you know to to meet their climate goals that they have put on paper that they have committed to reducing their fossil fuels they are selling off their wells which looks great on paper but in reality they're selling it off to smaller um gas companies and oil companies that are not on the radar that people are not looking at and these companies are just ramping up their production and um and creating more greenhouse gas emissions than the big oil companies that own these wells and so it's really, um, you know, you should read this New York Times article. I put a link on my website, but it was really, you know, more of the greenwashing that is going on. And you really need to always know to look between the lines because these big companies, you know, pay a lot of money for these PR companies to make things look really good. But if we're really going to address climate change, we need to really address climate change. We can't sell off the wells to smaller companies. We need to close down the wells. And they also talked about, you know, how many, um, how so many of these oil companies were going around plugging up their wells, and now they've sold those, they've sold that part of their company to another company that's not plugging up the wells. And the leaks that come from all these abandoned wells is also horrible. So, we have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, um, and we all need to become part of the solution. We all have ways that we can take action, whether it's signing petitions, showing up for marches, writing letters to our Congress people. We all have a part and we all can't do everything, but we all can do something. And so every week I share, you know, on my website um, and in my newsletter, some ways you can take action. And this week I actually wrote about um, a petition you can sign up to stop the ocean fin fish farming, which we'll be talking about more with my guests later today. But um, ocean fin fish farming is really a horrible new industry, just like industrial factory farms on the land. This is now trying to set up industrial factory farms in the ocean. And um, I'm not going to go into it too much right now because I know we're going to be talking about it later in the show. But there's a petition up on my website and I encourage you all to sign it. And I also encourage any of you that are at all available this Saturday, May 14th, there's a nationwide day of action for abortion rights across the country. And moveon.org is um, one of the sponsors, is called Bands Off um, Whatever City. This one's Bands Off New York City with Planned Parenthood of Greater New York and um, moveon.org. And they're working together to create these um, rallies and protests across the country. And so if you can show up, you know, put on your pink hats, you know, put on your made, handmade costumes and show up because we are really entering a very scary time in our society. Um, you know, a woman's right to choose has been the law for 50 years and to go back now just seems unimaginable to me, unimaginable. And, you know, if you don't believe in abortion, that is your right. And you can make your choice not to have one or not your wife not have one or whatever the story is. But 
We need freedom of choice. That's what it's about. And our own personal rights across the board, whether we're talking about the healthcare, whether we're talking about vaccinations, whether we're talking about, you know, however you approach your, your body, you need to be able to have your own choice. And, um, you know, I'd like to see what would happen if, you know, we were forcing sterilization on men or something like that, you know, people would be showing up in the streets too. So we really need to, um, you know, take a hard look at what's going on and we all need to let our voices be heard. So please show up. Anyway, I would like to share this week's recipe with you. I got a new tagine and I wanted to try it out. So this is a tagine with butter beans, broccoli rob, and cherry tomatoes. And it is really delicious. A quick, easy meal during the week. Um, you know, I do use canned beans. I do make them also from scratch, but when you try to put together a quick meal, good canned beans are just great. And so I make use of um, a Trader Joe's giant baked beans, which is a huge, like gigantic um, butter bean. And it's really good, but you can use any bean substitute that you would like. So this is what you need. And it serves about four people. Four tablespoons of olive oil, one large onion, roughly chopped, two tablespoons of minced garlic and one tablespoon of minced ginger, one teaspoon of thyme leaves, one teaspoon of coriander, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a half a teaspoon of saffron threads that you're gonna soak in a half a cup of boiling water. And you just put the saffron threads into the measuring cup, put in a half a cup of water and just let that sit there while you're um, doing everything else. So start with that and then it will be ready um, when you need it. A half, one teaspoon of cumin, a quarter teaspoon of salt and a quarter teaspoon of red pepper flakes. And that's of course optional. I like a little spice to my dish. One teaspoon of Ross Haut spice blend, one bunch of broccoli rod chopped, one can of chickpeas, one can of Trader Joe's giant baked beans, and it's in a tomato sauce. And I use that as well. 15 Kalamata olives, 15 cherry tomatoes halved, one tablespoon toasted pine nuts, one lemon juiced and a handful of fresh chopped parsley. So you're gonna start by heating the oil in the bottom of the tagine and saute the onions for a few minutes until they soften. Add the garlic and ginger and the spices and let that cook for a little bit. That just releases the flavor of the spices. Add the broccoli rob and let that cook down a bit because that will fill the whole tagine. You'll have no room for anything else. You need to um, cook that down just a little bit to make room for the giant beans, the chickpeas, the tomatoes, and the olives, which you're now gonna add once the broccoli rob wilts. Then you're gonna add the saffron with the soaking water and bring that stew to a boil, lower the heat and let it put it on a simmer and put the tagine cone top on top. And that's just gonna, you're gonna let it simmer. And what happens is the steam from the tagine comes up and drips back down and kind of almost self stews the dish. Um, and really brings out the flavor. And let that cook for about five minutes, allowing all those flavors to meld. Remove the lid, stir it once or twice, and then return the lid again and let it sit for another five or 10 minutes. Add the pine nuts, the fresh chopped parsley, and a squeeze of lemon juice right on top when you're ready to serve it. Um, garnish, with, garnish it with the fresh chopped parsley. And I served it with some brown rice. You could also serve it, traditionally tagines are served with couscous. So you could, of course, um, make some couscous and serve it with that. 
but it's a delicious quick meal during the week. Um, and I'd love to hear feedback if you decide to make it. So please let me know. And now it's my pleasure to introduce to all of you, Andriana Natsoulis. She's the campaign director for the nonprofit organization, Don't Cage Our Oceans. And Don't Cage Our Oceans is committed to protecting the oceans from factory farms and preventing the proliferation of industrial ocean fish farming. These ocean factory farms significantly harm public health, the environment and the people, along with marine life and the habitat and the industries and economies which rely on the ocean and its resources for their livelihood. The first time Andriana was on my show, she was the executive director for NOFA New York, which is the Northeast Organic Farming Association of New York, where I got to work with her and got to know her as a board member. Andriana has created and implemented comprehensive programs at several other organizations, including Greenpeace, Food and Water Watch, and the Northwest Atlantic Marine Alliance, which is now known as North American Marine Alliance or NAMA for short. Andriana has coordinated with the global food sovereignty movements and has served on national and international boards and steering committees. Her work inspired the interviews of over 80 farmers and fishermen, which she compiled into the book, Food Voices, Stories of the People Who Feed Us. And through that work, she excels at alliance building and networking across cultures and backgrounds. Andriana has a broad range of executive level experience from fundraising to budgeting to managing to human resources. And she received her bachelor's of science degree from SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry in Syracuse, and her master's of science degree from the University of Warwick in Coventry, England. And she lives in the beautiful Hudson Valley now. And so I'm so thrilled to have you back on, Andriana. How are you? Hi, Vivani. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me back on. It's great to, to be with you again. It is, and I'm so excited. You know, I've of course been learning about Don't Cage Our Oceans since you um, agreed to join me on the show again. And I'm so glad there's an organization like that out there <laughs> helping NAMA and all the other organizations that are also working to try to keep these factory fishing farms out of our oceans. So um, why don't you first start a little bit I'd actually like you to share a little bit of your own personal history before we even get into Don't Cage the Ocean as to how did you get involved in agriculture, farming, like what oh led you to protecting <laughs> our environmental world? Um, Do it so well. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so much. So how did it all begin? Um, just to do a bit of a quick step back into history. What I really wanted to do was be able to combine the very basic biology, the study of life, as basic as you can possibly get, um, with social activism. And so the way that I saw to do that was first by working with fishing communities and looking at the possibility of them being able to not only market their fish collaboratively, but also influence regulations um, collaboratively through their cooperatives. And so I just felt like that was such a basic need for our human existence and also a basic way to really lift up and organize people to have agency over their own lives. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was, that was many years ago. And over the course of the years, I just have been fortunate enough to continue on this track. And I've worked with, you know, just 
amazing individuals, amazing movements, amazing organizations. And um, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to stay on this track and, and continue, continue building it. And I've also been able to make all the different connections. So we're talking about um, fisheries and agriculture, right? So our food is not just land-based, it's also sea-based. And I've enjoyed being able to make the connections and make um, collaborations between the two sectors of our, of our communities that provide food for our mm -hmm. tables and for our families. And then specifically on this issue, on offshore fin fish farming, which I know is a bit of a mouthful when you say it out loud a few times, um, but I actually did work on this issue the first time in the mid um, 2000s when I was at Food and Water Watch. Um, at that time, I was at Food and Water Watch leading their fisheries campaign and um, bringing together a coalition of organizations in a little bit more of an informal way. We didn't have a formal coalition as we do now, but um, yeah, so that's nearly 20 years ago and we're still fighting the same fight. Yeah. We're still fighting the same industry, the same bills, the same people who are supporting this, but I have to say that, you know, so far we have been successful over these um, past 20 years. And, you know, after I left working on this issue, others continued working on it um, and others who I'm currently working with at Don't Cage Your Ocean. So they continued that drumbeat. And so we've we've been we've been finding it for a while and I'm, I'm looking forward to to putting it to bed once and for all this time. Yeah, around. well, thank you. Thank God there are people like you that have the perseverance to keep at it because you see how long it takes for these things to happen and then and then they can happen and 50 years later they someone can reverse them all it's just ridiculous it's <laughs> right, ridiculous right. anyway so tell us about don't cage our oceans um so as you already gave a bit of an introduction bhavani um we our mission our mission as don't cage our oceans is to stop the development of offshore fin fishing fin fish farming in the united states and we do that through federal law policies coalition buildings and at the same time we uplift value-based seafood systems that are led by local communities embedded in local communities. So Don't Cage Our Oceans is a coalition. We're a coalition of diverse organizations and private businesses, including restaurants. Um, and we are coast to coast. And so we have membership in Maine, we have membership in DC, we have membership in Wisconsin, Alaska, California. And so it's a diverse organization, a diverse coalition of organizations, um, national, regional, local. Uh -huh. um, and what is the primary problem? You know, when you say don't do the offshore thin fish farming, you're right. It is a <laughs> um, that's different than some of, you know, I've had on mm -hmm. my show some people that are doing um, seaweed fishing and, mm -hmm. you know, repopulating oysters mm -hmm. into the waters to clean them up and stuff. That's different, mm -hmm. right? So can you mm -hmm. explain to my listeners mm -hmm. the difference of what we're talking about so that they don't confuse the um, 
the seaweed fishing and the, mm-hmm. you know, the seaweed, um, you know, and the seafood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fishing that um, I've had people on talking about as a positive thing. Right. Yes. Um, so, and, um, you know, as we talk about what are the positive options for seafood lovers and consumers, we can also get a little bit more into detail about good aquaculture. Um, but when we talk about offshore fin fish farming, we're talking about these huge cages uh three miles out from shore. So these are these huge science fiction looking submersible pens that are jam packed with, you know, thousands and thousands of fish. Um, So that's very different than when you're talking about coastal, you know, mussel or oyster farming or this seaweed cultivation, which has been getting more and more popularity, you know, over the past few years. Um, we're talking about these mass, we're talking about industrial farms in our oceans. That's essentially what these are. The other thing that probably a lot of listeners have learned about over the past many years is salmon farms. And so we have mm-hmm. a lot of these salmon farms that are also coastal, also meaning the bivalves, like the oysters and the mussels um, and the seaweed. The, the salmon farming, salmon, of course, is also fin fish that is occurs in state waters. So when we talk about offshore fin fish farming, we're talking about federal waters. We're talking about three miles out from the coast. And so when you're talking about three miles out from the coast, people don't see it, right? And so it's kind of like, well, out of sight, out of mind, but it's not, it can't be out of sight, out of mind. And um, these offshore fin fish farming facilities have a host of problems. So when we want to talk about the environmental issues, so, when you jam millions of fish into pens, you're going to have problems with disease. You're going to have problems with um, uh, lice, which you also find in salmon. Um, you're going to have problems with different kinds of algae growing on the pens. Um, and so the industry will use a lot of different chemicals to be able to treat the lice to be able to treat other diseases and to, you know, using antibiotics, um, using algicides to treat the cages. The other issue, and so this, the, these chemicals don't just disappear. These chemicals do move into the surrounding waters. And that it, it's a myth um, that, um, um, you know, you can, through dilution, you know, you don't have a problem anymore. You still have a problem. You're contaminating the waters. There have also been documented cases of um, marine mammals uh, tangle up in these cages and, and drown. And this, in fact, did happen in Hawaii with the Hawaiian, uh, the Hawaiian monk seal. A uh, Hawaiian monk seal was entangled and drowned and died. And the Hawaiian monk seal is a revered marine mammal in Hawaiian culture. And so these facilities have absolutely no regard for our environment or the marine mammals that exist in in our oceans. So when I talked about the different chemicals and antibiotics that are applied to these facilities, just as dilution is not a solution, these chemicals and antibiotics um, accumulate in the fish. And so consumers will then eat these chemicals that are um, 
that that build up, especially in fatty fish, build up in 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 the in the fish. And so we are very concerned about the health implications um, of eating these fish that are raised in these pens. Other issues. There are so many problems with these farms, um, these industrial farms. Um, you essentially, when you have these, these systems, you're cordoning off large portions of our oceans for private greed, for private gain. And so you are completely quartering off these areas where people, fishermen can't fish, um, you know, people can't sail. Um, you wouldn't be able to have any kind of coastal tourism or not coastal, but um, deep water tourism around these pens because they essentially have privatized these, these ocean commons for the development of offshore fin fish farming. Um, we also so if these are if this if these are national um, international waters they're not international the they're, they're not international it's so from zero to three miles out of the coast it's state waters from three miles to two hundred it's federal so we're talking about huh. federal waters federal okay. and it depends in the Gulf of Mexico because it's there's so many states and and the Gulf is not that large it gets a little bit more complicated there but in general, three miles out to 200 is federal waters. We're also concerned about market competition. So again, this is a form of industrial food production, which means that the food can be raised cheaply, sold cheaply. And we're concerned about the competition in the, at, at the seafood market, competition with fishermen who are catching wild caught fish, we are concerned with competition with a growing sustainable aquaculture industry that is community-based, as we mentioned before, and we can talk about more later on. Um, the last thing that I will mention now with the problems of offshore fin fish farming, because there is a lot, um, is the fish feed. Uh, where is, how are we feeding? How are they feeding these fish? They're feeding these fish with fish that are low on the trophic food scale. So these are um, fish such as menhaden, which the entire marine ecosystem depends upon. And so the menhaden are being fish taken out of the ocean to feed farm-raised fish. So when proponents of this industry claim that, oh, we're solving a, you know, a food security problem, we're solving an issue of overfishing. In fact, that's not true because they are taking out fish that are at the bottom of the food chain that are needed for the entire marine ecosystem to raise these fish. Additionally, there are other additives in these fish in the fish feed, including corn and soy and um, corn mash, which includes, um, it can include antibiotics and penicillin and penicillin, which is specifically prohibited from being used in animal feed. So we're concerned about the fish feed as well. And so when I mentioned we have members in Wisconsin as well, that's because the farmers see the connection to what they're fighting for and what they're fighting against. Because if you're using soy and corn in this fish feed, 
where is that soy and corn coming from? It's coming from the middle of the country. It's coming from, you know, land grabs that have happened in other countries, such as, such as let's say, Brazil, for example. Um, so there's a lot of commonalities with the industrialization of our food system, our food supply on land with what these offshore fin fish farming proponents are attempting to do in our waters. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago, I actually saw a TED talk with Dan Barber. He was uh. talking about a fish I knew. Do you know that? Have you seen that? TED talk? I haven't. Mm -mm. <clears throat> anyway, it was great, but he was talking about the farm raised fish being fed. You know, he thought it was, you know, a great thing at first, you know, of course, you know, you're, you're not taking the wild fish and you're raising them just for feet, just to um, be food. And, um, you know, but then when he got down to like, well, what are you feeding them? Mm. He really had to do a lot of research. And it turns out in his TED talk, he was talking about the fish feed was made from chicken scraps. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, again, with all the antibiotics and the yep. soy and the corn and all that. And mm -hmm. it's like fish aren't even supposed to be eating chicken. That's right. Right. What happens to a fish that eats chicken? Right. Um, you know, then it doesn't even have the omega, you know, sixes Three. it's supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And anyway, mm -hmm. Nine. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, the fish feed is a whole nother story. So at least, at least your fish feed is with fish. <laughs> His fish well, was chicken. Yeah, but it's, yeah, but it also is a lot of other stuff. Crap. Just, yeah. 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 It's scary. It so, is. um, who, who benefits from this? I mean, they're just the corporations that are, uh, that are selling it and the federal government is leasing out the ocean. How well, there's no money exchange, there's permitting. Um, and so we're, so who benefits? I mean, that, that's a good question. You know, who, who does benefit from this? One thing that, um, so there is currently a coalition of businesses who are um, endorsing this in the United States and, and around the world, and they are called Stronger America Through Seafood. Who are the members of Stronger America Through Seafood? Well, we have Cargill and we have Cisco and we have the same players who are engaged in um monopolizing our land-based food system so these are the same players who see it as a, a you know a, a money win you know that see how they can prop up their 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 ceos and their shareholders and um looking at completely integrated food production and distribution system. So if you're looking at Cargill's and Cisco's, yeah, they already control our food that comes from land. And now they're looking at how to control our food that comes from the oceans. Mm -hmm. um, and so are the these um, factory farms in the ocean, they already exist? Are there many of them? And so there are not many of them yet. Um, and I have to say with all the challenges that we face, um, we've been pretty good at fighting this one. In the United States, there are currently two of them. Um, one in process, one is in is established. There is one uh, off of um, Kona Island in Hawaii called Ocean Era. And that facility has been around mm, for probably 20 years, um, but uh, maybe a little less than 20 years, don't quote me on that. Um, 
but they have changed their name. They have rebranded three times over the past nearly 20 years. And part of the rebranding um, and reorganization is financial. Part of it is that they just is not that, that consumer confidence yet. Um, and then Ocean Era is in collaboration with the um, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, looking at a research project in the Gulf of Mexico off of Sarasota, Florida. And that, play, that facility is called Valela Epsilon, but it can't get all its permits. Um, it is currently still awaiting a potential Environmental Protection Agency permit. Um, one of the founding organizations of Don't Cage Our Oceans, um, along with Don't Cage Our Oceans and our other members, actually was in uh, litigation with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration around Valela Epsilon and their permitting process. And we won, they won during that time, a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Um, and so now we again are looking at EPA. So now that NOAA can no longer um, provide the permits for this Valela Epsilon, they're looking at they being the age, the federal agencies are looking at the Environmental Protection Agency and providing the permits. We are still- What does NOAA stand for? National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay. And okay. So, um, so we're currently looking into various um, uh, litigative um, opportunities to prevent the EPA from moving forward and granting Valela Epsilon the permits that they would need to, to, to um, operate. And essentially, you know, their environmental impact assessments to really closely look at the environmental impact and really judge those environmental impacts on the true impact that they'll have on the environment. So now, that- Are there other, are there other um, of these thin fish farming operations in other places around the world that they can look at as models to see there the devastation? The, yeah, so there are countries that used to really can't, both Canada and Denmark were great um, proponents of offshore fish farming. Um, and over the past some years, they have been pulling back because they've realized that these, they don't, they, they're not beneficial. They're not beneficial for the environment. They actually are not beneficial in the marketplace. So both Denmark and Canada have been pulling back from establishing these in their waters. Norway is still kind of on the, you know, should we move forward, should we not? They're, you know, they still are proponents as they are with a lot of the other uh, aquaculture facilities that we find in our oceans, um, such as salmon. Um, so Norway is still moving forward with these, but those countries, as I mentioned, Denmark and Canada, who had been incredible proponents, see the, the, that they are not beneficial and they're, they're pulling back. Mm -hmm. And fish that come from these big farms, like the one in Hawaii, does that, does that fish get to market or is it mostly in Hawaii or is that fish that we're seeing here? Um, I don't think we're seeing it here, honestly. I think it's, I'm not, it, they may be exporting it to uh, Japan, 
but um, here on the East Coast, I'm also in New York, um, uh, here on the East Coast, we're, we're not seeing it. Mm -hmm. So mostly the farm-raised fish that we're seeing here is um, mostly still salmon. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And also the ocean era, I mean, it's Kona Capachi is the way that they brand it. Um, and, but yes, but um, so far I, I, you know, I look whenever I go to the grocery store and I, the fishmonger and, and I never see it. We don't see it here. Um, I think they keep it in Hawaii and export it to Japan. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so how does Don't Cage Our Ocean um, work <laughs> with Congress? to try to keep this at bay? So we have, um, since we are a national, organization, uh, national coalition and we are looking at federal waters, right? So we're working from three miles out. So our focus is on the federal government and, and members of Congress. So um, as I mentioned, there has been a bill that has been introduced and then reintroduced and then reintroduced and didn't go anywhere. Um, so it was reintroduced again um, in October in the Senate, this past October, October 2021. So this is called the Aqua Act, um, and it is advancing the quality and understanding of American aquaculture. So for short, we call it the Aqua Act. So it was introduced in the Senate first um, with... Um, you know, Senator Wicker from, from a Republican from Mississippi, along with two co-sponsors, um, Senator Schatz from Hawaii, who is a Democrat, and um, Senator Rubio from Florida. And so far, it's not gone anywhere. There are no other co-sponsors of the bill. Um, and then a House bill was introduced in December by the representative from Mississippi, a representative from Mississippi with a co-sponsor um, from Hawaii. And so we've been focused on, um, you know, educating our members and educating people on the Hill around the problems of this Aqua Act and the problem of basically offshore fin fish farming. Um, so we are we're focused on you know killing the bill killing or preventing it from moving forward killing the aqua act and then on the flip side oh, so the aqua act is not a bill to stop it it's a bill to promote no. it it's a bill to promote it right and so <clears throat> and and it's not moving there haven't been any more co-sponsors and and honestly when mm -hmm. it was introduced in the house even the the individual who the representative palazzo from mississippi when he introduced it there was nothing there was no noise about it so you know it makes us us wonder who really is behind this if the person who is introducing this into the house isn't making a peep when he introduces it so it's it's so the aqua act but we can't you know we're not gonna we're not gonna be too confident that it's not gonna go anywhere of course you know the aqua act is what we are fighting we are fighting the aqua act we are making sure that it does not move forward in either the senate or the, the house and we are letting you know all of our you know uh, we're letting people know on the hill we're letting our members know our partners know our allies know that the aqua act is something that has to go that cannot move forward because if it does move forward it opens up our oceans to this industrial fish production with all those problems that i already mentioned so mm -hmm. so that is one side so we are fighting 
to prevent the Aqua Act from moving forward. On the other side, there is a bill that was introduced, a bipartisan bill um, that was introduced in the House in January of 2021. So we're talking about, you know, over a year ago um, at the end of January of 2021. Um, and um, that was introduced by the late um, Don Young, representative from Alaska, and it's had several co-sponsors. It's keep it's called again Keep Thin Fish Free, and that bill essentially says don't move forward with any permitting, don't move forward with any form of offshore aquaculture unless there is a um, you know regulatory process that includes a government a congressional oversight. So um, we are currently looking at having a Senate version of Keep Thin Fish Free that not only says don't move forward, but also really uplifts these alternatives, really uplifts the good aquaculture and really uplifts, you know, seafood that is caught and farmed with a conscious conscience, which is caught and farmed with um, environmental and social principles at its core. So that um, is something that we are, you know, as I said, currently working on and um, how can anyone not support it? How can anyone not support, you know, doing something good and being able to support locally communities, local economies, you know, support the environment and really provide people with good seafood choices mm -hmm. that don't harm people, that don't harm the health, that don't harm the environment. So where's the Biden administration in this? I mean, they claim to be committed to climate change mitigation and local economies, um, but we haven't seen that that much. How are they supporting this bill and, you know, our local fishermen who need to, you know, depend on this for their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Thanks, um, Vivani. And also you had mentioned that you have up on your, your webpage, our petition um, for people to sign. So yes, go to the IE Green website and uh, sign on to our petition. What is the petition? Okay. So the Biden administration, the Biden administration has not yet revoked a Trump era executive order. So in May of 2020, Trump signed into signed an executive order called Promoting Seafood Competitiveness and Economic Growth. And essentially what this executive order does is gives the go ahead to federal agencies such as the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, such as the Environmental Protection Agency, such as the Army Corps of Engineers, just gives them a complete green light with any, without any public input, without any congressional oversight to put a stamp of approval for these offshore fin fish farms. Um, and what they will do with the permitting, so there are a couple different things here. So what they do with the permitting process is they can give them um, up to 35, up, up to a 35 year lease with minimal public input and no true oversight. So 35 years, 
these facilities could be polluting the water. These facilities could be killing marine mammals that become entangled in the nets. 35 years. And the Biden administration, even though they say that they are committed to climate change and they're committed to local economies and local communities, they have not revoked this executive order. So at Don't Cage Your Oceans, we worked with our partners, our members, our allies, and we submitted to the Biden administration a letter with nearly 200 businesses and organizations urging the administration to revoke this executive order. They still have not. They still have not revoked it. And the only ones that this executive order is going to support are the Cargills and the Cisco's. They are not going to support us as consumers, especially as we watch the price of food rising. They're not going to support our, our, our hurting oceans and environment. And so the Biden administration, they say they're committed to, to climate change. This, the, these kind of facilities, we know industrial food production is a culprit it, to climate change. And so if Biden, you know, says that he's committed to climate change and local economies, well, then revoke this executive order. It's really easy. So um, so we don't believe that at this point, the Biden administration is saying true to their word um, until they revoke this executive order. So what can my listeners do um, besides signing this petition to let the Biden administration know how they feel? So we also, um, you can, yes, please do sign on to our petition. Um, we also, and it's not, so for us, you know, we're really focused on the Biden administration and this executive order, but then we're also focused more so than in terms of other actions listeners can take. Um, contact your member of Congress, contact your representative, contact your senator, and tell them we do not want offshore fin fish farms in our oceans. That is not an alternative <clears throat> solution to any kind of food concerns. That is not a solution to climate change. That is not a solution to our struggling farmers and fishermen. So just call your member of Congress and um, Tell them, tell them that you do not want to see offshore fin fish farms in our oceans. What you want to see is greater support for sustainable, scale-appropriate, site-appropriate aquaculture that's embedded in the communities and led by individuals, by people, not by corporations that are only looking to, to, to line their pockets with even more money. Um, so, and you can go to our webpage, uh, which is Don't Cage Your Oceans with the S, don'tcageoceans.org. Um, but I do wanna say that we're in the process of, um, of creating a new website. And so, you know, come back and check regularly because we will be having a new website soon, um, which will make taking action um, a little bit easier. And also you will be able to sign up for our action alerts. So, um, so that though is just in Congress, that is just urging the Biden administration, <laughs> but, I also wanted to touch on, you know, how else listeners can can make a difference. Please, yeah. Okay. So, um, 
also we can make a difference you know with the choices that we make we can make a difference with what seafood to purchase that was um, my next question so perfect go for okay, it okay good so um you know there's a lot of different ways to um choose seafood that is sustain sustainable choose seafood that does support local communities and local economies um <clears throat> so of course you know we do support wild fish that is local so ask one of the biggest things that we can tell you is talk about it ask when you go to the seafood counter ask where does the seafood come from who caught it is it local is it not i mean we do not endorse the those seafood cards that say red yellow or whatever red yellow green mm -hmm. because they don't get to the core of the problems and oftentimes you'll see a fish that's on a green all of a sudden be a yellow and then a red because consumers are eating it and there are other issues that are in place and so what we really um recommend is to ask questions at the seafood counter ask where the fish comes from and try to buy as local as possible so what if you're and there's also community supported fisheries um you know we're we're familiar with the community supported agriculture programs but there are also community supported fishery programs so if you live in the coast ask about that um see if you can join one um there is an organization a network called um uh, local seafood catch um i think i actually have that wrong let me just um local catch catch the local catch network right. there is a local catch network and if you google them you can go to their website and you can find a community supported fishery there um so just staying in the theme of wild fish for a moment longer if you don't live on the coast what are you going to do um still you know we recommend eating as locally as possible um if you really want seafood, look at seafood that has traveled the shortest distance. So for example, if you're in Vermont, look at like Massachusetts, Long Island, Maine, um, Rhode Island, uh, New Hampshire fish. And the other- What thing about that, fish that comes out of lakes, like trout? Right, so fish that comes out of lakes, that is a good option. Again, that's local. Um, and then that also goes into the issue of aquaculture so what aquaculture is good and there are some really good small-scale aquaculture facilities that have been popping up more and more around the country there are inland farms some are embedded in the communities um there are farms in new york city and in, in new orleans and chicago and boston and some of them use what is called a recirculating systems, which means that they're growing both fish and um, plants together. So it's a they're closed systems. What we support are closed systems. And like Will raised, Allen did. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. So you know, if you're inland, again, ask questions, buy local, support your community, and if you want to, you know if you want to um get seafood that's from far away avoid anything that's an imitation get fish that look like fish don't get something that's a square who knows where that square came from <laughs> right i mean eat, well, uh -huh. eat, eat fish that look like fish um 
So the other thing about all these different kinds of aquaculture systems, and Bhavani, you mentioned them at the beginning. Yeah, there is more and more bivalves, oyster, mussels, um, and those are great options. Those also are filter feeders, so they can help clean the coastal areas. Um, and there's been a lot of really wonderful projects around our coast that are led by the communities. Um, that focus on bivalve farming. There's a new group called Minorities in Aquaculture, and um, they're focused on, you know, some of these bivalve farms that really are embedded in the community to support the local community and to support the local environment. Um, the so you don't necessarily want to eat mussels that are cleaning up the well, I mean, the thing, up the, you know, a super um, fun site. No, I wouldn't, right. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. But, um, but, but my point is that they, they contribute to a clean environment rather than create a dirty environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then also you mentioned uh, seaweed and kelp farming. Yes, that has been on the rise as well. And there's some really great projects around the country, you know, from Massachusetts, from Maine to Alaska to, um, to the Carolinas. And um, that's another growing industry. But again, you know, it's really important to know who it is, be an informed consumer, um, know where it comes from, ask the questions, who's, where is it coming from? Who, who is distributing it? Because what we all, I'm assuming of your listeners, if they're listening to you, um, you know, we want to support our communities and we want to support our environment and we want to support our health. So the only way that we can do that is ask questions. There is no easy answer. Ask questions, be informed and stay on top of things mm -hmm. by listening to I Eat Green and checking out our <laughs> webpage and all these other, you know, web pages that have incredible information to help guide consumers to be um, knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. So um, I know when I went to the fish store recently, I was doing an event and we wanted to do wild, they wanted wild salmon. Um, and wild salmon, of course, is not in season right now. So there was frozen wild salmon, mm -hmm. which was frozen wild sockeye, which looked horrible. So I wasn't mm -hmm. going to buy that. Then they had organic salmon, mm -hmm. and that's but it's farm raised. Mm -hmm. Tell us about organic farm raised salmon. Is that you know what are they feeding those salmon? Do you okay. know? Um, can I go back for a second to the frozen uh, sake yeah. salmon? Sure. Um, so actually the best salmon is flash frozen. I mean, not the, I can't say the best, but if we're here on the East Coast and we want to get Alaskan salmon, flat, flash frozen salmon is actually the freshest that you can find. So they take the salmon out of the water and they freeze them. And so when you see frozen salmon, it's not necessarily, and okay, and we're talking about buying local, and now I'm talking about Alaska and New York, yes. Um, but um, flash frozen salmon that comes off of these small boats up in Alaska is actually a really good option. And it's- and That would it's, be the king salmon or the sockeye uh, too. The, well, coho and king primarily. And, yeah. and even sockeye, I mean, it's going to be frozen. So salmon on salmon coming here from Alaska, it's going to be frozen. Um, and frozen salmon, you know, if it was done quickly and properly, it's it's a good option. Mm -hmm. 
Organic salmon. So um, there are no um, organic standards for 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 um, for fish for seafood. And so if you see organic salmon, that's that's not quite accurate in my opinion. It's a green greenwashing. It's thing. a greenwashing. Again. And this is a little bit of a controversial issue. So there were some and and now that, you know, Bavani, you're still involved with NOFA New York. I feel like that was a long time ago for me. Um, but um, there was an effort to be able to develop some organic standards for farm raised fish. And there were um, now that I'm rolling back, there were most recently standards created. It's very challenging, in my opinion, to have true organic fish because there are other issues that um, I believe have not yet been thoroughly investigated. But when, so yes, there, the, the, the organic standard boards did recently develop standard for organic seafood. Um, so when you talk about what kind of fish feed um, is there, um, it can't be genetically modified. There are restrictions on the fish feed. It's still gonna be wild. You're still gonna look at menhaden and other fish low on the, on the um, trophic level, um, but you're not gonna have antibiotics, penicillin and genetically modified organisms in the fish feed. Otherwise there'd be no way, no way that it could possibly justify for being organic. Mm -hmm. But personally, I stay away from organic seafood because I don't really agree with organic standards for seafood at this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand that. Um, but yeah, it's something that you're starting to see more and more when people yeah. say, you know, oh, well, this this salmon's organic salmon. I'm like, yeah. eh, is there really such a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are standards that, that, that have been developed mm -hmm, in the United States. Okay. So before we actually run out of time, can you share with my listeners, um, you know, where they would find Don't Cage Our Oceans and um, any other campaigns that they should sign on to besides the petition that I shared with everybody? Yeah, we have, um, you can go to don'tcageouroceans.org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, which is Don't Cage Our Ocean. And we, Fill out the petition. We also have several letters um, that you can send to your member of Congress. You can access that through our webpage. And as I said, please come back and visit our webpage again and um, sign up for our action alerts. Thank you. Adriana, this has been very informative. Um, I'm so happy to know about Don't Cage Our Oceans. I did not know it existed. Of course, you know, the other organizations you've worked for, so many of us are promoters of, you know, Greenpeace, Food and Water Watch, NAMA, you know, all great organizations. So you're doing great work. Thank you. Keep it up. Thank uh, you, Pavani. Yeah, really wonderful to have you on again and to see you and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And everyone who's been joining us, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great rest of the week and I'll see you all again next week. Bye for now.